Welcome to Gin and Topic. I'm Sarah. And I'm Anya. And every week we seek to learn a little bit of something about absolutely anything. All with the help from experts and rather a lot of gin. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. That was very exciting. <laughs> I'm delighted that you're excited. <laughs> Just getting in the zone. Getting in the zone. Getting in the zone. Um, well, okay. Get in the zone. All right. And in the zone for... Oh, let's figure out. Right. Gonna say some words to you now. Oh, Christ, here we go. Right. First word. Yep. Power. <laughs> <laughs> it's about drive. It's about power. We stay hungry. We devour. Sorry, carry okay. on. Yeah. Second word, rationality. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Is this wanky bollocks? No. No, okay. Because the third word I'm giving you is Heathrow. Right. Ooh, as in the yeah, interesting face you just pulled. As in the Well, airport. my first thought was, aren't they meant to expand that? And, exactly. And not everyone's happy about it being expanded for various oh, reasons. Oh, she's not just a pretty Have face. I Have I just found out what we're talking about today? <laughs> so we are talking about whether we should build a new runway at Heathrow or not. Oh my God. I'm so intelligent. And how those decisions are being made how they get made in I'm general. sorry I'm not listening to words you're saying because I look cute today I've got a new jumper on and I just figured out what we're talking about because I'm smart I'm so good at this podcast shit I'm so good at it <laughs> and we're talking about planning which you love I do I love planning not like the easy planning but about the power and the rationality behind the planning decisions that go into something as complex and as uh, Im- impactful on yep. humans. Do you have a stance and the world? on them building an extra runway at Heathrow? Yeah, of course. Go on then. Do better. Yeah! <laughs> I'm glad we're on the same. <laughs> yeah. Do <laughs> you imagine if I sat here and went, I think they should. Yeah, for all those private jets because they really need to travel. Yeah. We anyway. just do Zoom. But there might be arguments revealed to us today for it. Well, I think we're looking more at the whole decision making and how the decisions are made. I'm trying to trying to balance things, Sarah. Oh, I have a feeling that our guest may be in the same camp as us. Today's not going to be a balanced <laughs> argument, everybody. If you think we should, maybe turn off because you're just going to disagree with us, and we can't be asked to reply to your tweets. <laughs> Excellent, but at least there's gin. There is always gin. gin. So we are talking to Jill Ashcroft Campion. And she's a third-year PhD candidate at the University of Cambridge. Of course. Um, but she's also a lawyer. <gasps> she's a lawyer. She is. And she's wow. got a law degree. She's a qualified solicitor. And she's worked in many, many years in London doing corporate Straight M&A. Away, I'm attracted to her because a woman <laughs> with that many qualifications. Oh, she's mm. also got a master's in planning Stop. growth and regenerating regeneration from Cambridge University. In the words of Cher, mum, she is a rich man. I'm not <laughs> saying mom because I'm not Cher, but she is a rich man. And she's a busy little bee too because yeah. as well as doing all of that, she um, has been developing houses 
uh, which is how she got interested in planning law. She's got two event horses. She rose. She's lived all over oh, England, Paris, New York. God. And she's married. married. Oh, sorry. Oh. And she's got two daughters. I thought I was in with the chance, but no, this jump has gone to waste. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so with all of that, She's going to be talking to us about Heathrow, whether we should build a new runway and the power and rationality behind all those decisions. And I'm going to fall in love. <laughs> well, we can let her in and then we can have a gin. Okay, good. Have you got a gin? Uh, I have some ready to pour. I wasn't sure if I was... Perfect. We have it yes. ready to pour too. <laughs> Did you also struggle to get into your bottle? Because the wax on our <laughs> bottle was impossible. I was, I was very determined. <laughs> Good. I had to use my teeth in oh. the end. It didn't feel great, but it got the job done. <laughs> yeah, it's right. very nice. Okay, so here we are. And tell us about why we're drinking Six Uh Well, it's... Uh, my younger daughter um, was uh, head of drinks for the John's Ball Committee and and uh, she got to taste, uh, invited to a lot of tastings and she came home with some of oh, this. hard life I know, she, she did. Yeah, <laughs> dream job. And she came home with some of this and it, it I just, I just, it's lovely. I mean, we don't, we don't drink a lot of gin, but um I do like gin very much. Um, <laughs> yeah, we can understand that feeling. We quite like a gin. But you've, Sarah's bought the glass out because we record this in my bedroom, like the high tech people we are. And you've put interesting things in this today. I have, because you asked me for orange yeah. and oh. we don't have any. Uh well, we do. We have easy peelers, but I didn't want a little segment of an easy peeler not quite floating around. No. Um, and then I didn't really want to eat the rest of the easy peeler and didn't want it to go to waste. No. So instead, we've got dried orange peel. Mm, that's what it is. And um, because you wanted orange and I wanted ginger. Oh, is it dried ginger We've as got well? dried ginger Blimey, as well. Sarah, okay. I know. It's gone all out today. Wow. Fancy. <laughs> Gosh. Well, I have some um, fever tree, which I love. Mm. Oh, it is a nice, Lovely. yeah. Very good. It's a proper gin. Oh, it is nice. It's a proper mm. gin, isn't it? It's a really good gin. And it is a proper gin. When I was making it, I was like, oh, well, I'll reach for the lime because it's a gin and a gin and tonic. But actually, I'm enjoying my little I'm dried, weird, fruity dried things. stuff that you bought in, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to roll with it. <laughs> but we, as well as drinking gin, are going to talk about Heathrow. And we're talking about um, power and... Um, I was going to say resilience, and we're not talking resilience. I'm feeling episode. quite resilient. <laughs> that was last week. We're talking power and rationality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, with the question of should we build a new runway at Heathrow? And I think Anya and I need to get a few things out of our systems <laughs> first um, to share with you where we stand. Yes. And what we think the answer is to the question 
and what we think the roles of power and rationality are. Yeah, okay, good. I mean, I was just yeah. really pleased because Sarah said, okay, today we're going to be talking about... And I straight away said, oh, are they planning on building another runway at Heathrow? And I've never, ever got anything like that before. <laughs> I felt so proud of myself. But they've been also been planning that but for ages. Mm. For a yeah. long, long time. Feels like a long time oh, it anyway. It does feel a long time. Yeah. yeah. Probably find out it really was yeah. not that long ago. Everything felt like feel a long like, time. Oh, that's true. Timey-wimey. Um, <laughs> it has felt like years. Yeah. And it is, it seems to me, very much divided between yes or no. I don't know if there's, there's anyone no around that's in the like, middle I'm aware of. Not no, bothered. No. I'm firmly in the no camp. Yes. Yes. Just, yeah. Just, I agree. Firmly no. Mm -hmm. What are your reasons? So my reasons mm -hmm. are we don't need any more fucking yeah. runways anywhere. Yes. And actually, I think the pandemic has shown us that we don't always have to travel. We can do a lot of things using technology and technology can just get better and better. Mm -hmm. And that's better for the environment. Yes. Noise pollution. Another reason. Ah, totally. So I used to Wild live in life. London. I know you used to live in London. Here she goes, I used to and live in London. Used to live in London. <laughs> and apart from loving to hear Concord, because then you go, hello, Concord. Um, and it was a special thing. But the noise, the constant noise of planes was a bit yeah. much. Yeah, I get that. And it was really nice during the pandemic without them. Yeah. I mean, we get a few here. We do. We get a few. We occasionally get private aircraft. <laughs> Well, we do. We do. Yeah, we and do. it's like, oh. oh. Well, and I imagine that that's what the new runway would really be for. It's uh, lots of those. I see. I see. <laughs> Interesting. I don't actually know much about it. I vaguely seem to remember having a debate in college, maybe, or uni. I can't remember. It was a while ago, it feels like, with talking about it. And I was just there going, but... Why do we even need another one? There doesn't seem to be a strong enough campaign to have another one. I'm confused. And then I got told I was being really stupid because obviously we need another one. Like, obviously. And I was like, oh, okay. So, and here we come to power and rationality. Right. Because I think that a lot of the... So, I'm basing this not on any fact or any experience. Or Excellent. That's how we always like to start. We have all. no facts and no expertise, but boy, do we have opinions. <laughs> but I, we do. I would guess that decisions like that are championed by the people that have the money and power to go, we should have a new runway. And of course, they are middle aged white men. <laughs> Um, yep. And they're there going, we need a runway. And you that say we don't need a runway, well, you're just being silly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe they had the power and we had the rationality. Is that what this boils down to? Ah. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and does rationality ever win over power? I'd like to think so. In all of my YA literature, well, okay, it does. That's exactly where I was going to go. <laughs> so from your YA experience, does yes. rationality win in the end? I would like to say so. I mean, Katniss shoots the right person in the end, doesn't she? She does. Yeah. She yeah. does. Anyway, I have no knowledge, but we're back to my <laughs> fictional <laughs> reading, which we somehow managed to bring into every episode. Good. And, <laughs> and in those... 
Well, I think there's a lot of it based in truth, isn't there, in terms of mm-hmm. and sharing messages of power being the bullying dominant force that doesn't necessarily have the right answers. <laughs> so we've given you no facts, possibly, but definitely opinions. And a well-used soapbox. <laughs> and do you know what? This is a perfect start because um, the Excellent. question that I wanted to ask you at the start of this was, what do you think? And mm-hmm. everyone I spoke to said, no, you can't ask them what they think. <laughs> they d- you absolutely they, can. They don't. Yeah, we're not shy at yeah. coming forward, are we? And so no. I am very, very glad that we have started this way because, um, as you've rightly said, everybody has an opinion on Heathrow. Everybody knows what Heathrow is. And the, one of the most interesting things for me is actually listening to what people say about it and their reasons you know, whether they're in favour or not. And I was making some notes when you were speaking about your thoughts. So you're both against. That's it. Can I just explain <laughs> the intake of breath that happened next to me of Anya just going, oh my God, I love her even more. Oh, I really <laughs> love taking notes. I love taking notes. So when someone else takes them, I'm like, yes, this is my kind of person. Oh, well, but then I also imagine that the notes probably just said, fuck old white men. No, 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 <laughs> not at all. Because, because what you have both said, you have both said, you're both firmly in the no camp, those, that's what you said, and you discussed the environment and noise pollution. And then, we, and then you talked about power and rationality. And all of those things are incredibly relevant to Heathrow. And what I would like to spend um, the time that you've given me um, is, is going through those and perhaps taking your thoughts on a step. Um, you're talking about Perhaps you have the rationality. You can see that we probably don't need one in in your view, but the people mm-hmm. who have got the power have perhaps taken this decision. And and what are their reasons for that? Well, we can speculate. I was going to say something really bad of of having taken the money, yes. keep it in, from the Sarah, companies keep it but, in. that are going to benefit. But yes, we'll keep that there. Um, I hope you'll find this a very interesting conversation because if you um, if you think about what you're saying, you're saying that your your rational view of this decision is that we shouldn't have one. And you've given your reasons, you based it on some values and your observations of the world. You've given your context and what you think. But you see this decision going ahead, even though it has been knocked back a lot. Mm. You may, obviously, um, there are a few people who are as focused on this decision as I am, but many people will remember the David Cameron when he was standing for elections, obviously a bit old for you, but... Oh, but, my God, no, yeah, yeah that's just remember, brought back yeah. like a repressed memory. <laughs> do, yes. do you remember the Huskies and no ifs, no buts, mm. with yes. no third runway? Oh and yet his government was the government that put in train the Davis Commission, mm. which reported on whether we needed or how we would develop future airport capacity and recommended Heathrow so even though he said those words the result of his government's actions yeah so so if we if we continue with that thought and and the two things that we're sort of focusing on this on this discussion well the three things we're focusing on decision making we're focusing on rationality and we're focusing on power and um the work that I've been doing on airport decision making is really it's looking at one of the most difficult decisions that that 
a democracy has to take because you're taking a decision that is very unpopular, certainly with all the people who are impacted by it, um, but also with a lot of other people. But there are also a large group of people who actually want that decision to be taken in favour of it. And you're talking about rationality. And to a certain extent, uh, when these decisions are being taken, the interesting thing which many people have uh, discussed about decision-making is whether if you have a sufficient amount of power, you can create the rational justification for your decision. And actually, if you mm -hmm. think about it, mm -hmm. that's obvious. That's obviously what's happened. So there's a very... Um, there's a very well-known guy called Bent Flubia, who's just, um, he wrote a few years ago. Great this book name. Called, yeah, Rationality and Power. And it's a fantastic, fantastic book. And you'll, you'll uh, know the, the Bacon, Francis Bacon quote, um, knowledge is power. And he looks at that, mm -hmm. he looks at that through a very tedious um, planning um, case in Allberg. And he, he followed what well, it is. It is. It's it's very. It's a. It, it did win. Go on to win awards, but it was a, it was about a bus terminal and where this bus terminal was going to be placed. Mm -hmm. And his conclusion was that rather than knowledge is power, power is knowledge, because if you can set the context using power and you can control which facts are looked at, then you can create the rationality. Mm. So, his quote mm. is. Power defines what counts as knowledge and rationality and ultimately what counts as reality. Mm. Oh, that's good. It's good, isn't it? He's, he's, he's a brilliant guy. And it is it's true. Really good. And, and once you see that, it, it's a fantastic mm. book. I really highly recommend it, Rationality and Power. Um, it's called Democracy in Practice. The thing is, once you, once you open your mind to that, and you look at decision-making, particularly in government and political decision-making, and especially very important and difficult decisions, you, you start mm. to ask yourself, what is really going on here? And so that's how I got involved in the third runway decision. And it wasn't, I, it, mm. I was looking at the third runway decision because when I was doing my master's, it was very topical. They just decided to adopt as the airport's national policy statement, the expansion of Heathrow by adding a third runway. And for a lot of people, that decision seemed to be inexplicable. But it was explicable mm. because if you look at how the process was operated and the facts which were used to support that decision, you can see why the decision was taken, why, why we got that result. And so um, the work that... I have been doing is actually looking at how the process to adopt that decision was operated because it doesn't matter how good a process you have if you use it in a certain way you can control to a certain extent the outcomes mm -hmm. and the reason that Heathrow is also so interesting if I may give you some some background on this is the planning system and everybody has a view on the planning system that we have in this country. Mm. Usually, if you yeah. say you're interested in planning yeah. or you're doing something on planning, people will corner you at a party and start telling you about their planning <laughs> application, which went wrong, or how did Mr. So-and-so <laughs> get, get this house on this field, or you know, what, why did that extension get built, or why can't I build my extension? Do, do you know what I mean? That is always yeah. what happens. So, and yes, people yeah. feel very strongly, don't they? 
And the, and the thing that I found, mm -hmm. one of the most interesting things that I uh, learned when I did my master's here was that you sort of grow up and, you, and planning's always there. That system is always there. You know that you've got to apply for permission if you want to do something major with your house. Mm. And and it and, and you know your house is usually one your most valuable asset and and it's where you live. It really you know houses are unusual because they're not only very valuable capital assets, but they they really impact your life, don't they? How how you feel, how how healthy you are. You talked about noise pollution. If you live if you're in a student house with mould, you're probably <laughs> going to have a few issues with your lungs. Yes, exactly. and not just the house as well, but the community that you're living yeah, in. And every when you were talking about the planning application, as soon as you know a new planning oh thing my goes God, up on all the, the signs <laughs> up, going hands off our village. Yes, yes exactly. You know, and all of that, you know, we don't need any new homes. No. We don't need and you yes uh, and so yeah. yeah all of that I think it's very interesting as to how we ended up with the planning system that we've got and it it came out of the second world war and we'd we've been through the second world war we had we had totally centralized government then you were told I mean we've we've just been through lockdown we've just been through we still are going through COVID but we've all had a bit of a taste you know we watch all the films I'm talking about myself mm. now. You watch all the films, you think, oh, rationing must have been awful and, you know, sending people up. But you never really know what it must have been like, do you? We, we know it must have been very difficult. But I think COVID gave us a taste of that. Our civil liberties were, we, we to a certain mm. extent, we restricted them ourselves. We could have all gone running around and I don't know what they would have done about it. But Some people got a bit more toilet roll than others did. Some people had <laughs> yes. pasta, some people didn't. It some, was a thing. <laughs> indeed. Some people had parties, some uh, other people, yeah. yeah. But during the, during the Second World War, there was a real fear in government that people would stop doing as they were told. They weren't going to carry on complying mm. because, you know, your husband or your brother is being shot, your house is being bombed, you're given very, very little food to eat, under rations you can't go anywhere, you've got no petrol, even if you could have a car, no clothes, you, you're told what jobs you need to do, you have your children sent places, you know, I'm brought, I mean, I'm, I'm generalising, but, you know, your whole life was controlled by central government, but the war with the assistance of the Allies was won. But during the war, the government realised that it was going to have to give people something to work towards. So it came up with these proposals for the welfare state, you know, social security, pensions, the National Health Service, education for all. And it also uh, introduced this planning system. Mm -hmm. That's when mm -hmm. it really all started. Before you had sort of planning generally for drains and street lighting and trying to stop overcrowding so people weren't constantly dying of cholera outbreaks. You know, it was it was on a lower scale and it and it sort of developed from there. Again, these are massive generalizations. I hope my supervisors never listen to this. <laughs> but, but but what what they realized was that they were gonna have to give people something to look forward to, something to keep going for. So all these lovely mm. things, we're gonna make a country for everybody, not just for the rich and the privileged. We're gonna give this, you know, when mm. people come back from the war, there's gonna be a job for everybody, there's gonna be a house for everybody, there's gonna be social security for everybody so all of this was offered but you know we'd had the blitz a lot of industry had been destroyed so they had to create a system where they could rebuild quickly so they were going to build the new towns um like mm. stevenage all those new towns we had to build houses quickly and you may well uh, in your you know your 
personal lives have come across situations where you've seen people saying, well, if I could just have that little bit of paddock to make my garden bigger, I'd pay you a fortune. And, you know, it's the ransom strip. But, you know, couldn't afford that at the end of the Second World War. We had to be able to take control of land and rebuild fast. So the planning Mm -hmm. system was introduced, Mm -hmm. this new planning system with huge powers. It's one of the most, most important most powerful economic levers and we just sort of see it as something which is and again I'm generalizing I I think a lot of people see it as something annoying it's a control but it was an extraordinary yeah well I'd never even thought that it had a beginning you know because I've never thought about the planning system the planning system is just is there there. as a homeowner Yeah. Um, All right. Don't rub it in. Bit rude. I'm literally sitting here, a 22 year old who will not buy a house till she's 50. So please don't. (laughs) But there are things that you know that you've got to go for planning permission for. And I just accept it as being something that's there. Yeah. Just just when things are built in your neighborhood or whatever, you just accept that it's that. I never even thought it had a beginning. <laughs> just that it was born out of something. <laughs> I thought it just generally yeah. evolved. Exactly. Well, it, it did evolve, but this was why this huge leap, this huge change was taken. And if you imagine, if you were a property owner before the Second World War and you owned a load of fields, you know, say down your road, you've got a load of fields and they're yours, to a certain extent, again, huge ge- broad generalisation coming up, but to a certain extent, it was much easier then to get planning permission to build on those, to develop them. Um, you know, those all those roads that you drive down, you think, how did they get to build all those houses, just like one house going down this road forever? No, no housing developments, you know, the ribbon developments. Well, they w- wanted to put a stop to that, but they had to do something. They had to take control. They had to... Um, they had to build these new towns quickly. They had to be able to compulsorily purchase land, and they mm. wanted they, they needed mm. to put in place the system. So, and and taking away um, basically the right for a landowner to control the development of his land. Imagine doing that now in these circumstances. Imagine, mm. imagine you know we we three own fields, and we can do relatively speaking what we like with them. And then the government comes along and says, but you know what, we're going to take away your right to do whatever you like with your land. We're going to, we're just going to, we're basically, we're going to nationalise it because they were nationalising transport, the railways, buses. Mm. They were even, even Mm. tried to nationalise sugar production. I mean, everything was nationalised, transport, Mm. lorries, uh, all the utilities, electricity, gas, um, coal, you know, the heavy industry, steel, every, everything's nationalised. It's such a different context mm. then. And so it makes sense to, yeah, when, when the yeah. government, when the state is running all of these incredibly important things here, electricity, the gas, um, ev- all these things, it makes sense that if you've got the state running that, the state can control what land is used for and, and which land can be b- bought up. Mm. Right, we're going to put a town over there. That's near London. We need to build you know, 10,000 houses, right, we'll buy that, we'll build the houses, we're, we're going to crack on with this. And the government mm. was building, the state was building most of the houses. So it all formed part mm. of this system. And and the, the state also decided that it would build this network of national parks. 
create the areas of outstanding natural beauty, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. protect agricultural land because obviously we'd had rationing. So all of these policies came in at that time. It was a very carefully thought through Mm. thing. Here, you know, people, you're going to be able to go to national parks. We're going to be able to build houses for you. And this is in the context of the welfare state and a full welfare state, not the welfare state that we have now. So here's Mm. a huge package of measures. The state Mm. is basically running everything. This is a a huge, huge change. And if you think about what's happened happened since then, it makes sense in that context, doesn't it, that the state would would decide. Mm. And with that, they were giving jobs and and well-being and everything as well so it was you know they having to build back build back better (laughs) having to build back after the war that it was that whole sort of giving everything and providing it that's right and 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 to get such an extraordinary measure through it, uh, land control mm. had always been very difficult because obviously it's a very very important asset and especially in a small country like this you don't want to waste your land but they base this and and these are the words this is the white paper that they 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 propose this in because until then, it had been completely The control deadlock. of land yeah, use. because they were nationalising. They were taking away. It was like someone saying, you can own a car, yeah, but we, the state, yeah. decide what you do with it. So it was a huge thing, you know, huge, huge thing. And the, and the, and the basis on which they uh, set this was it's an achievement of an interest in all sections of the community, both in this and the succeeding generations of the greatest possible measure of individual well-being and national prosperity. So if you know, there's two strands to that. There's individual well-being and national prosperity. But the thing was that those powers were being used for the common good, and that was what the national interest was in. And so that was the justification for taking this. Mm. So if we scroll Mm. on a bit and we think about Heathrow, the justification for Heathrow in planning terms is that it is in the national interest. And if you look at any of the articles, it will say Mm. the national interest in economic growth is the priority. Now, that priority did not really exist Mm. in 1947. And what has happened between 1947 and now is neoliberalisation. So you've had Mrs Thatcher coming in saying, the state is in charge of too much stuff. We're going to privatise utilities, yes, transport, Mm. yes. But the planning system still has the same structure and you are still basically using a state planning system but you have sold off Mm. utilities transport Mm. Mm -hmm. um you've sold off everything basically apart from the nhs so how does this system work you've got um uh some people call it a contracted out state so we're contracting out all those all the state things but we've still mm. got these these planning rules and you have to justify things in terms of the national interest. And we're now describing the national interest as the priority is economic growth. But if you live underneath Heathrow or you're made seriously ill by the noise or the pollution or the microparticulates, mm. you would say mm. that that is not fulfilling the original purpose of the nationalisation of land yeah. use. Mm. Uh, to some extent mm-hmm. or other, you feel uncomfortable, perhaps, about these powers mm. being used when it is known that 
people are going to actually be made ill or suffer because the state mm. is using this, mm-hmm. this power and it's using this power for a private enterprise. And this is where it gets really complicated. Yeah, and that sort of the the good being economic growth mm. has been something yeah that face something that is constantly being talked about and the fact that you know it doesn't make everyone happy just to be growing economically you know even we think of businesses you know just for profit d- is not good enough anymore mm-hmm. You know, and exactly. individually, just running your life for money isn't good enough anymore because we realise that actually there is a lot more to life than just the economic I'm the development. generation, baby. <laughs> I'm used to this. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. So you're there. You've, you're there. You've thought this through and you're there. So the, reash- the rationality which is being used to justify these decisions is economic growth. And you're both saying, but should we just accept mm. that? And that is the right question to ask. That mm. is exactly the right question to ask. Mm. So if we, if we take this a little bit further, we now see the context in which we're asking this question. We're sort of looking up from the page a bit and we're not saying, well, is it a sensible decision to put that third runway there? We're actually saying, are we actually even asking the right question? Which is really what you said at the beginning. Can I just ask (laughs) another question to clarify as well? Because thinking back on the planning rules and everything, in order to build this new runway, are we then talking about making people give up their own land to provide the runway? Yes, so it isn't land that's already owned by Heathrow. It is just going, you know, you with that backyard. Yes. Uh, you don't need it anymore because the common good of this country for economic for growth, good, for the right, great good, <laughs> the national means interest. that you have to give yeah. it up. Yeah. The national yeah. interest. So what, what has happened is that, um, uh, you know, and, we, uh, and you're totally on point here, is that as infrastructure utilities etc have been privatized our infrastructure provision in this country has fallen further and further behind we need infrastructure we need what, mm. whatever it is we need mm. we need to be able to get about we need good railways we need good electricity supplies we need good water supplies we need good telecoms we need internet we need broadband for everybody but we've been falling further and further behind and there've been a lot of sort of reports and discussions and why why is this happening? Why why are we why are we falling behind so badly? And one of the um, frameworks which has been blamed often is planning. Well, you know the planning system mm. is holding this up, and the the poster child for holding infrastructure development up is Heathrow, because mm. in the eighties Heathrow wanted to build Terminal Five, and that inquiry um, and the decision took eight years, and so it was very easy. For, yeah, exactly. It's a very long time. People have babies during it. You know, it's, it was epic. Just Google Heathrow Terminal 5 decision and you'll see. So it was very easy for the executive to point at that and say, well, this is outrageous. You know, who's going to invest money in infrastructure if every time you want to put a proposal forward, it takes eight years? Who in the right minds is going to fund that kind of inquiry? Because we had an inquiry system then. Who in the right minds is going to wait that long? Because these are businesses which need to make money and infrastructure doesn't wait yeah. that long. So we need, you know, we need to change mm-hmm. the system. So at that point, 
um, the government at that stage decided that it would create, it would take infrastructure, the major infrastructure planning out of the normal system, which had been set up in 47, and it would give it its own special system. And it would create the system called the Planning Act 2008. So it took all these major planning infrastructure decisions out and it said, right over here, we're going to have this new system. And what we're going to do is we're going to give the policy decisions to government and they're going to have to be Mm. approved by parliament. And those Mm. are going to be called national policy statements and they should all intersect Mm. together although sadly they didn't write that in the legislation. So we're going to have, (laughs) and we're going to do that as part of climate change and energy concerns. So we're going to pass that act with the Energy Act 2008 and the Climate Change Act 2008. Which surely then contradicts everything they're doing because if you're going we're going to do these really good things for climate change you don't then go you know what would be a great idea more planes but here goes the power and rationality Uh doesn't it because if we've linked it all then we can make the arguments as to why it works in our favor it's a web (laughs) well it's you know the framework is well designed The framework is well designed. So the framework um, which was built into the Planning Act 2008 was sustainable development, you know, providing Mm. for the current generation without impacting the ability of future generations to to provide for themselves. And we have to have this sustainable development and we have to to comply with um, provisions in the Climate Change Act. And the Climate Change Act is sitting there and it is following... Uh, supposed to be following government policy on climate change legislation. Mm. We haven't got time to go through, (laughs) and you may well fall asleep, Um, we haven't got time to go through um, the sort of timelines and the the issues that that came up. Um, But basically, uh, when Heathrow um, was being discussed, it kept on being pushed back. But the people who run Heathrow mm. obviously want to develop it and they can point to a good economic mm. case. Nowhere in the planning legislation yeah. does it say that the priority for planning purposes for infrastructure is economic growth. It, that those, those words do not appear anywhere. The priorities mm. are sustainable growth and um, decisions have to have regard mm. to um, mitigation adaptation Uh, of climate change so Mm. it's very clear that those things need to be thought about so the question that you will be asking Mm, yourself is how the hell which you just asked which how the hell did they get around that how did they get around that Mm. yeah and then a slight tangent maybe but can they still argue for the economic growth after everything that's happened with less people flying because are they assuming it's going to go back to exactly how it was and do we know that it will because yes we're all gagging for a holiday and a bit of sun but 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 here you see we can we can build that argument because we'll be supporting all of those poor oh, um airline industry that need, yeah. that need to not go under so because they can. of that. So they then absolutely we'll, can. we'll start to build a whole new yeah. argument. And then it will all be accessible because there'll be another oh my god, you're right, <laughs> they totally can. If yeah, the first five minutes when you were talking together, you basically don't really need me here because you were 
you were basically setting out. <laughs> no, we do. No, we, we do. do. We do. We do. Really do. <laughs> because we we go from a, a soapbox and a distrust of anyone in power. No. Uh, so whereas run. you go from expertise of research. <laughs> well, I, the what you can see from looking at how the decision followed through was that um, the outcomes of decision making. Um, rely on public acceptance of rationality of decisions. And there's mm. a guy called Faludi who's written a lot about this, and he he has a theory about rational decision-making. So he says, you know, big decisions have to appear to be rational. So how do you, how do you, how do you define what is a rational decision? Well, you say it's got to be legitimate. So you can't just sort of wake up one day, even Boris Johnson can't wake up one day and say, I've decided whoever is in power, there are, there is a legitimate process to be gone through. So the Planning Act says you've got to set an airport's national policy statement. So, okay, great. Mm. And that policy statement has to be approved by a majority vote in the House of Commons. So you think, good, that's a legitimate process. I agree with that. That sounds very democratic. I, I can accept that. As a, as a voter, I accept that. Mm. And then mm. the airport's national policy statement says, this is how we see airport capacity expanding. And then developers who or people owning airports all around the country can apply against that policy so the national policy statement will say this is what the state this is what the policy is and the developer will come along and say oh that's good i own heathrow airport and it says the preferred policy is a new runway at heathrow so i own heathrow airport great mm. i have got more certainty i don't think i'm going to be put through eight years of misery and expense not knowing at any point whether I, I'm going to come out. All I have to do is satisfy these broad tests, which are sustainable development. I've got to have respect to adaptation and mitigation of climate change. And the adverse impacts must not outweigh the benefits. There's these lovely wide phrases which can be seen <laughs> either as a sort of... That's we very... have a technical term for those <laughs> yeah. on this podcast, and the technical term for those is wanky bollocks. Oh, well, <laughs> I wouldn't presume to comment on that, but but there's these lovely wide phrases. So you you know they they can be used by either side. So you have you have this policy, and Heathrow can come along and apply against it. That feels okay to me. Policies being decided by people that we have voted for as a majority. Mm -hmm. Let's just put on one side, first past the post, is that fair? Put yeah. all of that on one side. It's a democratic <laughs> process. And it's the House of Commons. Yeah, we have to park that because yeah. that's a whole yeah. different episode. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, whip, the votes can be whipped through. Forget about that, okay? Let's just assume that we have a democracy that we're happy with. So House of Commons approves mm -hmm. that policy mm -hmm. and then... The application is made. So that's mm. a legitimate process. Mm. Okay. Mm. So what are, and the other aspect of a rational decision is it's justified. So you can't just say, I went through the process. That's good, isn't it? You can't just say that. You have to say, I went through the process and I justified it. So I can point to the fact that mm. people like flying and, and, and you know, aircraft, mm -hmm. We put lots of stuff in belly freight and it comes into Heathrow and it's great for the economy and businesses like it because we can have next day deliveries for all these important things and mm -hmm. we're creating lots mm -hmm. of jobs. So we're just, we're finding reason, we're justifying it. But whether or not those reasons are accepted, you have to look at the underlying values and, the, and those depend on the context. 
And I would say that the context is changing. As you have said, what about climate Mm. change? Now, those three acts, as Mm. we've talked about, were passed in 2008. So people were thinking and legislating about climate change in 2008. And one of the reasons Mm. that Heathrow the ANPS, the airport's national policy statement, preferring that third runway was set in um, 2018. Now, why hasn't that application been made? Because COVID didn't start until quite a long time after that. And you'd have thought mm, yeah. Heathrow mm. would have gone, yippee, mm. quick, let's apply. we we'll get get the runway built, mm. we've got the funding, let's crack on yeah. with it. The reason they didn't apply was the only way that we have to challenge those decisions, because lots of people didn't think it was the right decision, was is through something mm. called judicial review. So I don't know if you've done a podcast on judicial review, but it's mm. absolutely fascinating. It's the no, it's the, maybe we yes, yes, yeah, yeah, that's another yes. one. Come back and join <laughs> us. <laughs> judicial review is absolutely fascinating. So we started off talking about an airport, but now we're talking about decision making in the constitution. And the mm. reason we're talking about mm. that is because the only way to challenge these these big policy decisions or decision-making, sorry, is through judicial review. And the only Mm. reason that um, judges can review a decision and hold it to be unlawful is not because they don't think the policy is correct, it's whether the the procedure wasn't followed. Mm. So was our legitimate procedure followed? Yes or no? If no, the judges can say, that's unlawful, go back and have another go. So this is what happened in in Heathrow they, they a judicial review was applied for it was permissioned and the and the and the case was heard and in the divisional court every single aspect of the judicial review application was refused when it got to the court of appeal wow. the court of appeal bench that they're hearing the same facts or the mm. facts that most of them agreed but it's the same case the barristers are arguing again and in in that hearing the court of appeal said no we think that in this one particular instance, the Paris Agreement should have been considered when this decision was being taken because it was a relevant policy. And therefore, we, deci- we, have, we have decided that this decision was unlawful. And therefore, mm. um, that didn't mean that the government couldn't go back and then say, right, well, okay, mm. we've reconsidered uh, we've thought about the Paris Agreement. We still think it's it, it, we we still want to go ahead with this. But they didn't do that. Yeah. Actually, what happened was the judges in the court of appeal said no, it's unlawful, and the government accepted that decision. So let's mm. just think about that in terms of democracy. We put so much on one side in terms of democracy already. We put the first past the post. We put the whipping the vote through mm-hmm. for Heathrow. Mm-hmm. Now we're having to say hmm, this is a funny situation. This this case. Yeah preferring Heathrow has gone to the Court of Appeal, you would have thought that it's the government's policy. It's been approved by the House of Commons. You would have thought the government would have said, well, hang on a minute, that's our airport's national policy statement. We've just spent years getting that through. We've done public consultations. We're going to challenge that decision. No. Mm. And why was that? It was because there'd been a change of prime minister. Right. Okay. So what we're seeing now is we're seeing that that not only that, that you know we, we've got this lovely democratic process, but mm. the executive itself isn't upholding, isn't isn't trying to pursue its mm. own policies through court. But Heathrow said, 
they were joined as an interested party in the in the in the in the process. And Heathrow said, "Well, hang on a minute. We really want to build that runway. We're going to, mm, we're going to appeal mm. that to the House of Lords." So he had the bizarre position of this this runway, which two prime ministers have said would never be built. And now we've got a prime mm. minister, a new prime minister, who said over his dead body he would lie in the trench and be buried, you know, in front of mm. the JCB. Mm. He's he's saying, well, we don't, you know, we're not going to challenge that ruling Van Norfolk because it's sort of, he didn't actually say that, but, you know, that ruling sort of suited him, obviously, politically, mm, yeah, because mm. his constituents mm. voted for him on the basis that he had promised them he wasn't going to support that decision. So he's, yeah. the executive is now stepping back from a decision, a policy that they have pushed through the House of Commons, you know, pushed through... The, at all these stages, and they're just going, oh, well, it's unlawful. Look, the, the judges said it's unlawful. We don't have to, you know, oh, dear, never mind. So he's... Oh, that's yeah. convenient. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> doesn't fit with what we want to do now, yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. okay. It's, we'll accept exactly. it. And and he's going, well, hang on a minute. We wanted to build that, and we just spent years yeah, doing this. Yeah, so he's yeah. said, okay, well, we'll appeal. But now you're sort of thinking... Well, this is far more complicated than I thought when I started yeah, because I yeah. thought this was just about should we build a runway? And, you know, yeah. let's have a think about the health implications and the surface transport implications and the planning implications. And you're thinking, this is just a rational, this is just a rational decision. But then you're sort of being sucked into this quagmire of, well, how is this decision being taken? Is the is the process being followed? Mm. Is it is the process mm. legitimate? What are the justifications? How was how how did all this get through? And if you go back to how this was all justified, we're talking about economic growth, and we're talking about Cameron saying no ifs, no buts, no third runway. Yeah. When mm. he came into power, he was in coalition, and there was a lot of pressure from mm. lobbyists, um, and and from people who wanted you know the air, airport capacity to grow. So they they established this airports commission. And the interesting thing about the Airports Commission was the terms of reference, because we're, we're talking about the question that you ask at the beginning of every mm. session that you do like this. What's the question? And that is really mm. what democracy comes down to. It's what who is asking the question? Who has got control of that question? Because that determines the outcome. And that mm. question has determined the all of these proceedings, the decisions, the airport's national policy statement. And the question was how to maintain our position as Europe's um, foremost European um, hub, airport hub. Mm. Okay, so, and, and which is that airport? That's Heathrow. So you can, you can look at all the, you can look at all of the, the airports which wanted to expand, but there's only one hub. We've only really got one mm. hub and that's Heathrow. So then you, you can say, well, was the answer not actually in the question? Was the question not directing the answer? Mm. And that is power controlling mm. rationality. The rational answer to that question was X. Power has directed the question. You've got that answer. So we're talking about Heathrow, but actually thinking about this, we could be talking about HS2. We could be talking about anything. Right, you say HS2, you know what I hear? High School Musical 2, so you're going to need to clarify that a little bit. <laughs> the high-speed train. Right, um, gotcha. Which, yeah. Yeah, So, But now. we could be talking about any of those decisions and all of that interplay of rationality, power and politics. Mm. Mm. And planning is, planning is the ultimate, you know, it's a sort of, it's such a powerful tool. It's so important to everybody's life. 
you know, the, how mm. you live, where you live, how you earn your living, where you're educated. We need to really think very carefully about decisions that are being taken in our name. And the most important mm. thing that each of us as citizens can do is to think about decisions and mm. to and to take part. Mm. So um, just to sort of drag it back to the beginning, um, as you said right at the start, so perhaps this could be a two-minute podcast, you know, the question that we should be asking is, do we need this? Should, should we mm. be even discussing mm. this? In China, if, if they, they're building a lot of high-speed rail things, and as soon as they've built a high-speed rail connection, they ban flights between those two cities. Yeah. Doesn't that make wow. sense? Yeah. yeah. Completely, yeah. And and then you think about what's going on here um, in the recent um, assistance for Heathrow. They were saying, right, we're going to um, make certain tax changes so that it's cheaper to fly between London and the regions. Mm. So, okay, so where are we building HS2? Mm. Yeah. yeah. And why would we do that yeah. if we're trying to reduce carbon emissions? Yeah. Why would we do that? So no answers. Deep breaths. <laughs> no, no. No, but I think that's a really good question to end us on is that keeping that in mind. Yeah. Why would we do it? Yeah. Why? Why would we? And next time I'm going on a rant in the pub <laughs> about something political that none of my mates care about, I'm going to go, no, no, there is a reason you should care about this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, they should. They should. Because if we all don't care, then we can't complain. And there's your Goosebumps t-shirt slogan. <laughs> Perfect. Put it on a t-shirt. I'll wear it every day. <laughs> I have loved this. In I have learned so much. And I think it's brilliant. Thank you so oh, much for talking for, to us. Thank you for listening. I'm now challenging my own self that I'm, I'm about to say planning is really interesting <laughs> and, which is the real opposite isn't it when you're yes. there going you know planning dull yep. oh actually we've got no her. We've got her. Yep. because that whole of the intricacies of all of that mm. planning is really interesting and the politics the rationality the power of yep. it and i think not just being distrustful of every, everything and anyone in power but just thinking about all Using of those Using critical, things. what's it? Critical analysis. Analysis, thank you. My English teachers would have been so proud of me if I'd actually yeah, managed to remember the second word. It's very good. And, you know, whenever anyone's pouring a gin, just to spend that time that the gin goes down critically analysing something. Mm. Uh, not every day. <laughs> not every day. And it depends what your what your topic yeah. is. Not each other. No. But yeah, you don't know, analyze me. And just asking why. I love to be that child. Yeah. Why? Exactly. We have to be yeah, if you like, put it that way. We all have to stay as children. We have to we have to ask why more. And mm. and you know, I think that would be that would be a very good thing. I've had my socks blown off today, Sarah. Oh, I have. Smelly feet. I know. Disgusting of me. <laughs> Here we were at the beginning, just going, yeah, soapbox moment. We don't yeah. like anyone in power. <laughs> That's uh, not we're true. We're rational ones. That is not true. That I religiously listened to Ed Miliband's podcast. Now he's no longer in no power. No longer in power. <laughs> um, 
Sorry, Ed. Sorry. But it's that healthy distrust, not just accepting authority. No, just um, questioning everything. Questioning everything. And, but actually, now listening to all of that, to think uh, that is the right position to be in. So what have we learned? Because I have learned that the whole planning system we have in the UK came about because of World War Two, which I, I had no idea. No about. idea. But also, actually, I'd never really thought Considered about it. World War Two and the government's role. Because in... I've watched a lot of World War Two films. Yeah. Because I love a period drama. Obviously. But they tend to be either romantic period war films or they're Emotional. about... Churchill or... Or factual. Or, or factual, yeah. yeah. So but this I is never, like thinking yeah. about it from that um, control... Infrastructure planning is the but, sexy bit. Uh, infrastructure planning. Yeah. Because all of it was and had to be... And was expected to yeah. be. Uh-huh. You know, if you're being told that you have to eat very little, you're rationed, you, it's you've the promised got no land house, you've got, after the struggle. It's got to be built back. But now, may not be as effective, isn't as effective, because of everything that's happened that's changed it. And because it is like everything is open to... Wanky bollocks interpretation. two different sort of responses there I was trying to keep it less on the dark side yeah Yeah. but yeah because it is open to interpretation because it is open to influence yeah yeah and this whole Heathrow runway situation yeah should we build it so intricate there is this giant web of stuff going on behind the decision making that I have to listen to this podcast again to make notes on so that when I'm debating it I can bring up those notes steady with your elbow on the table sorry I'm getting a bit overexcited sorry Ben sorry Ben (laughs) sorry Ben I'm really excited about this Ben I didn't see it coming you know thinking about you've got the heroes you've got the villains the big things in this game yeah you've also got all of those people that are there doing their job. Every single episode we do like this, it comes back to the fact that there are just everyday people doing things. Yeah, yeah. And all of those people that are working in those infrastructure planning roles that are um, enabling things to happen or are questioning Mm -hmm. and providing all of that evidence to try and ensure that we're making the right decisions and the right infrastructure is being put in place. But do you know what I really struggled with? All I could think about the whole time that Jill was talking about um, the person who created all this planning and it being a web and how you can't unfold it, blah, blah, blah. It's not just me with the zip-like brain. Yeah, Yeah. but I forgot my name, but you know what I mean. Was that bit in Hamilton where at the end after Hamilton's died and they're saying his financial plan was a work of genius, I couldn't undo it, even if I tried. And I tried. (laughs) That's all I could think about. (laughs) Well, there you go. What a day! So, and there's loads of stuff that we haven't included in this wrap-up. No. Because... There was so much there. And I love episodes like that. I love the ones where we cannot possibly round up all the things we've learned because there was so bloody much. And we're going to leave our listeners with one thing. Oh, God. Why? Jill would want you to ask why, people. (laughs) Do it for Jill. (laughs) So, poor Jill. Jill for 2020, whatever it is at this point. And ask why. 
hope you enjoyed that little episode. You got to the end, so hopefully you did. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. <laughs> well done. If you'd like more content from us, you can follow us on Instagram. You can. And you'll also find our chief gin taster, the gin monkey, with tasting notes of all the gins that we're tasting in the series. Go on to Instagram, so it's worth following. Yeah, yeah. Topic gin. Topic gin. Same on Twitter. Same on Twitter. What Send us Facebook? a little tweet. Yeah, we're on Facebook too. Topic gin, keeping it all nice and simple. And you can email us. You can, if you want, at hello at ginandtopic.com. If you click subscribe as well, that would be really handy. Reviews, host tell of people. Stuff for you to do. And we'll be back next week with another episode. I know. And another guest. Know. And another gin. Yay. <laughs> And don't forget to join me and Emma in our tasting room on Sunday and she can tell us all about the gin.